Aaron and the Viss family are obviously on vacation. So um, Gary Hansen from Des Moines is here, and I will let you introduce yourself. Thank you, Emily. That song was perfect. Um, yeah, my name is Gary Hansen. Uh, I'm a pastor at the church that Aaron grew up in, actually. Uh, his dad, Tony, who I know has preached here, been here with you uh, a time or two, was the senior pastor at what was then known as Meredith Drive Reformed Church for uh, nearly 30 years. And uh, in that course of time, and to the point where we're at right now, God has uh, led us through a lot of twists and turns. So the most recent twist and turn down in our neck of the woods is that uh, we have consolidated from that original campus where the church has been located for over 75 years out to a, a plant that they had in Johnston. So we are now at the bridge in Johnston. If you're ever in our neck of the woods, stop by. We'd love to say hello. And uh, an amazing transformation of the original building is is in the process of uh, happening, being lived out. Uh, we were led by God to, to sell that facility to a church uh, by the name of Miso Church of Iowa. And earlier this month, they held their first service of worship, and not a word of English was spoken. And the, the sanctuary was filled. There was excitement in the building in ways that uh, we, we experienced as answered prayer. But I've known uh, Aaron for over 26 years now. Uh, he, he sang at my wedding. Um, I, I have seen all the twists and turns that have been a part of uh, his journey. I know you might laugh at Aaron singing it. I know. Ask him about it. He was good. He was good at it. There was a time when he was real good. Uh, I. I Remember playing a lot of um, intramural football and pickup basketball with Aaron. So if you ever hear him say, because I remember one of the, the memories of when I first knew Aaron, he broke his clavicle, right? So he had to sleep sitting upright. He was miserable for quite a while. And, and if he ever claims that his jump shot uh, is no good as a result of his broken clavicle, I knew him before he broke his clavicle. And it was pretty lousy then, too. This is recorded, right? So he can hear that. Beautiful. I'm grateful that Aaron and Renee and the boys can get some time to refresh and, and renew. Um, and I'm grateful to embody a reminder to you and to me that we never journey alone. Uh, in a time when together in the church is hard to, to pull off what it means to be together, what it means to be a part of a larger body. Um, if I can embody that reminder to you and you are embodying that reminder to me this morning that we're a part of uh, whatever God is doing as he redeems and restores and renews all of creation. So thank you for being an encouragement to me and I hope that uh, I can be an encouragement to you through what God is doing with us together this morning. So would you please pray with me? God, I thank you for this place. I thank you for the people gathered here. I thank you uh, for Aaron and Renee, uh, for their boys, for the ways in which you have invited uh, them into what you are doing here in Ames. I thank you, Lord, that uh, through it all, like we, we just sang, that, that you are establishing. You are establishing uh, what it will be when, when heaven and earth uh, will be renewed and restored to the fullness of that first vision that you provided in that garden so long ago. 
Lord, we, we can catch glimpses from time to time of what it looks like when your prayer comes to a reality. The prayer that you taught your children to pray that it might be on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, that's our prayer this morning. That a little bit of heaven will break through into our brokenness, into the ways in which we have wandered and gone astray. You bring us back. You remind us of who we are and who You are. And Lord, You do that through Your Word. Your Word which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit will awaken the parts of us that have grown weary and tired. I pray that You will soften the parts of us that have grown rough and ragged. I pray, Lord, that You will show us with new eyes a vision of what You are doing. That You will dig out our ears that we might hear with eager anticipation. That You will stir within us in ways that only You can an awareness that You are with us, that You will never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing in Your sight for You and You alone are our Rock and our Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I'll, I'll be straight up honest. When, when I asked Aaron uh, what you guys were making your way through, if there was a sermon series that uh, you're in the middle of, and I heard, yeah, we're studying Revelation. I went, whoa, which is beautiful, right? Digging into Revelation and what that book of promise and vision contains and, and digging into uh, what uh, a promise that is of such uh, strange uh, and otherworldly vision and picture and vibrancy that Revelation has to offer is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you couldn't have a, a better teacher to be guiding you in that. And I'm grateful that, that that's where you're at. But I, I said to Aaron, how about, uh, rather than me trying to continue that sermon series, I, I preached the sermon that I preached a, a few weeks ago because it's one at least this is my experience when I stand in this space sometimes. And I don't know if this is your experience in your life. You, you do something, maybe you make a presentation, and you feel like I just about had it, but not quite. That's what this sermon was for me. And so this morning as I revisited what God was doing in my life in preparing this uh, particular sermon, I realized that there are some uh, similarities into where we're going to find ourselves this morning and the book of Revelation. Now, there, there aren't any dragons or there aren't any um, beings with eyeballs that cover the entirety of, of them, but this is a story of vision. It's a story that comes to us from Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 9, and we meet up with one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his followers, actually my favorite of his disciples, a man by the name of Peter. And maybe you know a little bit about who Peter is, but we're going to get reintroduced to him this morning. And we find him post-Pentecost. So we find him in this season within the life of the church, the, the genesis of the church, right? The, the Holy Spirit has come and, and breathed new life where what was undone in the beginning is now being restored in new and dramatic ways. And Peter is making his way into this calling that is placed upon his life to be a leader of this new church, a leader of the way. So 
join me if you brought along a Bible. You can read it there. Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. So about noon the next day, as they, so that they are Peter and a group of his friends who have been making their way uh, along this journey that they are on. As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, so imagine, right? Peter, this faithful Jew, he has his day established by these rhythms of prayer. He's entering into the noontime prayers. He's up on the roof of this house. And as he's praying, a meal is being prepared. So the, the scent from the kitchen is rising up. And he begins to feel the pangs of hunger, right? So he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Then he saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. So, just to hit pause for a second, because you're here, you're in this space, and I think often when we read Scripture, we can remove ourselves from, from the realities of, of our own experience. You are here this morning because you have been invited a voice of some sort, whether it's a, a voice that you heard and can point to, or if it's just a, a sense that this is where you need to be this morning, right? Each time we enter into worship, we have been invited. A, a voice that the Holy Spirit has, has ushered to you, just as uniquely an individual as each of our lives is, that we'll be a part of this collective experience. So it's not so strange as sometimes it sounds when we just read it and move on that a, that a voice came to Peter. But, but Peter hears this voice, and it's a familiar voice to him. It's a voice he's heard before as a result of this relationship, this ongoing friendship that he has with Jesus. So Peter hears this voice saying, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. And then Peter responds in a way that I know I'm not alone when I've responded this way. I'm sure you have a time or two as well. We all have. He hears this calling from God, and Peter says, By no means, Lord, no. For I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. Right? Peter uses the the law, the way in which God has established for His people from the beginning For generations and generations and generations, the the Jewish people were set apart. The nation of Israel was set apart by who they did not associate with, who they, they did not marry, the food that they did not eat. The circumcised people of God understood who they were by what they did not do. So Peter says to God, wait a minute, the rules by which you have told us to be your people, I have followed. By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. But then the voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. 
This happened three times. And the thing was suddenly taken up into heaven. Right? There's some ways in which this dovetails with the vision that John has in Revelation, right? This strange vision that just falls into this experience that Peter has. It's same as John on Patmos, trying to make sense of what the Holy Spirit is doing and the fullness of, of what this renewed and restored creation is going to look like. This is outside Peter's ability to understand. And I love what verse 17 says, right? Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled, you and I would be greatly puzzled if we were in the place that Peter occupied that noon hour. While Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had just seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. So who is this Cornelius, right? Earlier in the chapter, we're told that Cornelius is a centurion. So he's a Roman. He's one of those that Peter would not have associated with by the laws that God had established. As a faithful Jew, he would not pursue a relationship with Cornelius. That's just the way things worked. But what Peter didn't know, what we're told at the beginning of chapter 10, is that Cornelius is actually a God-fearing man in ways that Peter couldn't possibly understand. He doesn't have a category for how this could happen, even though he's seen the the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost, right? He he doesn't have any category for, for Cornelius being one of the redeemed one of those that that will experience the fullness of what Peter has experienced as a follower of Jesus. So he's trying to make sense, right? I love that the the author of the story says that Peter's greatly puzzled. That's That's an understatement of all sorts, right? Other translations say that he is trying to make sense of something that is beyond himself. The, the King James Version says of verse 17 that Peter doubted in himself what the vision which he had seen should mean. So he's in this confused state and then the Spirit shakes him awake and says, alright, this Roman centurion who I have sent is looking for you. Right? These men sent by Cornelius appear. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. And now while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, the voice comes back to him, this prodding lets him know, look, three men are searching for you. Now get up and go down and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason that you what is the reason for your coming? And they answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by the by the holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story, right? This story that drops us into this middle of this experience that Peter has. Peter who has known Jesus. Peter who was a fisherman by trait. So he had an understanding of what his life was going to look like when he was in a boat out in the Sea of Galilee. He thought that his life, and you get the impression that he was content 
right? You get the impression that as a fisherman, Peter, although he would be looked down upon by the society that he was a part of, Peter was going to spend his days in that boat. Jesus shows up and says, follow me. And for reasons that resonate with us at times and for reasons that we, we can't quite emulate at other times, Peter gets out of the boat, follows Jesus. And as a result, he enters into this relationship. This relationship with Jesus that leads him to where we find him this morning. And a, a careful reader of Scripture, right? A teacher by the name of Will Willimon, he was at Duke University, and he, he writes a beautiful commentary on the book of Acts and all that's happening in this story of the, the roots of the church that we are a part of today. Willimon looks at this passage, he looks at Peter, and he says this, which I think is, is pretty important. He says, we must not read this story from the safe vantage point the safe vantage point that we occupy of a majority religion where broad-mindedness and toleration cost the majority nothing, but rather read the story as it was first heard from the minority point of view. People for whom a bit of pork or a pinch of incense or a little intermarriage was a matter of life and death for the community. The dietary laws are not a matter of etiquette or strange culinary habits. They are a matter of survival and identity for Peter and his fellow Jews. It's the bedrock on which Peter has forged his identity. Sure, he has seen Jesus push against the boundaries and the rules as he would walk and, and he would teach and heal on the Sabbath. And the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees took issue. They took issue with Jesus making the claim that he was the long-awaited Messiah. They took issue to the point that they nailed him to a cross. Peter, as he has witnessed all of this, understood that the way of Jesus was what Jesus claimed it to be. Not, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. But he still didn't understand what that meant for him personally. So he went back to the way that he had lived his life before he ever met Jesus. We do that in seasons of doubt, and in seasons where life doesn't make sense. We, we fall back to our, our habits. We, we fall back to the, the path that makes the most sense to us. But often those paths that make the most sense to us, those habits that we have ingrained in our lives, the way that we, we live our life will follow the path of least resistance. It's just the way that being a human being is experienced, right? If it isn't for some outside force, if it isn't for some outside influence, if it isn't for a really, really good reason, we don't tend to change all that much. We don't go looking for ways that we can make our lives more difficult, more complex. Peter was that same way. He went back to the way of life that made sense. But then this sheet falls from heaven in the, in the middle of a noontime prayer, right? He didn't go looking for, for this teaching. 
that fell into his lap. We don't go looking for the ways in which God invites us into the complexities of the fullness of relationship that he desires to have with us. But thanks be to God, he keeps calling us out. He keeps calling us deeper and deeper and deeper into this relationship. And that's actually the way that relationships are supposed to work. Right? There's an example. And for me, it's a helpful example. I don't know if it would be a helpful example for you, but I see some parents here, and we've all been children, right? We, we know that when we were small and we were handed a spoon, when we we're just starting to, to feed ourselves, what happens every time you hand a baby a spoon? Where does it end up? Not once, not twice. But for however long a parent's patience can hold out, the spoon is dropped, right? And as a parent, I know that it was my first instinct to, to get upset, to get frustrated, to say enough is enough, to, to give the impression that somehow dropping that spoon was the wrong thing to do. But it didn't go beyond just simply it was the wrong thing to do because it frustrated me. I wasn't aware of why. Why babies do that? Why we, when we were that age, when we were just learning how to use our muscles and have enough dexterity to be able to feed ourselves, why we would drop the spoon is as ingrained as this need to know that, that if we fall, if we drop something of significance in that moment, is there someone there who will pick it back up? Is there someone in our lives, the, the big people in our world, would they be there to pick up the spoon and hand it back to us and say, try again? Because the big people in our world understood that it was good and right. It was developmentally appropriate for us to be able to feed ourselves, that we would need to learn that skill so that we might embody the fullness of what it means to be human. It happens for the entirety of your life, right? A full and thriving relationship invites us into places where we have mastered basic skills, right? Where you're able to feed yourself as an individual, but whenever you're in relationship, you're also invited simultaneously into spaces that don't make sense. Into spaces that leave you baffled and dazed and confused. If you've been in a relationship, you know this to be true. Right? It's often where, where relationships find the most friction when, when a partner doesn't remain the same in ways that you might want him or her to remain the same, but there's change and growth and nuance that is worked into the best relationships that we're invited to be a part of. It's this dance. This dance between certainty and curiosity. So that's my question this morning. If with Peter... We have a bedrock. We have some sort of relationship with, with the one who has called you by name to be in this place this morning. You have some sense of what certainty that you haven't provided but has been provided for you, right? 
the, the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a part of the teaching that I grew up with, asks such a beautiful question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is pretty countercultural, actually. But the answer is at the depth of the relationship that God desires to have with us. The answer sounds like this, that I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That idea, my life is not my own, but we belong to the One who has given us the gift of this life. That's the, the most certain certainty that we could ever hope to have. But from that place of certainty that, that Peter inhabited as he was sitting on that rooftop smelling lunch, imagining the possibility that, that the God who had told His people for so long that, that they were to follow particular rules and live a particular way, the idea for Peter was so radical that, that God did that in a way that would open the door to what he was now opening the door to so that Cornelius and the Gentiles and the, the outsiders to the Jewish people, the people that they hadn't paid attention to, but Peter had seen Jesus sit at table with. Jesus constantly sat at table with, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with sinners. He, he constantly took up conversation with Samaritans and made His disciples and the teachers of the law, the respected Jews of His day, would cringe at the way that Jesus would, would point those who followed Him in a direction that Peter understood but was now being invited into. With that certainty, right? The certainty that, that God was with him in and through Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit was, was doing something new. In the midst of the certainty of our deepest relationships, Peter is invited into a place of curiosity. The curiosity of a child. What will happen when I drop this spoon? Will it be picked back up for me? The curiosity that, that stirs within us, regardless of our age, if we're courageous enough to listen to that inner voice, wondering, wondering about the fullness of reality, wondering what God is up to, wondering how we are being invited to use our time and our talents. What new relationships might we experience if we dare to be curious? Excuse me. I love that Scripture's honest. It says that Peter couldn't make sense of this as he's wrestling with it, as he doubts himself, as he is greatly puzzled. It's not the most comfortable place to be, right? But it's not a bad place to be either. Maybe you feel greatly puzzled this morning. I know in some ways I do. I feel greatly puzzled about what God is up to within the church the church in North America. I'm greatly puzzled about the, the ways in which we are being called to reflect who, who Jesus is in this lost and broken world that God loves so much. I'm curious about the ways in which we are being invited into spaces and places, into relationships that maybe we have turned a blind eye to before. Or even 
considered to be off limits for some reasons that made sense to us the same way that the culinary laws made sense to Peter. There's a curiosity within me. I'm sure there's a curiosity within you about what God is up to in the, in the big picture and what God is up to in uh, the nuances of your life, in the fullness of your relationships. So my hope this morning is that we will all take a step towards simultaneously dwelling in a place of certainty and curiosity. That along with Peter, we can be greatly puzzled and get up and follow. Follow our way to Cornelius' house to strike up a conversation with someone that we would have never struck up a conversation with before. To understand that God is always a God who is out ahead of us. A God who is calling us into places and spaces that He desires for His presence to be made known. Often that calling feels like for me and maybe for you a whole lot more than we're capable of. And it's encouraging that Peter felt that same way. Peter, the one who said with full sincerity that he would never disown his friend, that he would never turn away no matter what happened, that he would always be faithful to Jesus. If you know the story, you know that Jesus looked at his friend and said, you're not going to be able to do that. He knew that Peter was incapable of doing what he claimed and what he deeply desired to be able to do. He knew that when Peter stepped out of the boat to walk on the water to his friend when he saw him coming to him, he knew that he would sink, that he was a man of, of little faith. We are people of little faith. Jesus didn't say it to shame Peter. He said it as a statement of honesty. We have little faith. He let Peter know that he would not be able to follow him to the fullness of what Jesus was being called to do when he was led to the cross. But that didn't stop Jesus from returning to Peter, sitting with him on the shores of that same Sea of Galilee where he was a fisherman three years previous and saying to him, now you're going to be doing a new thing and that I'm going to go with you to every relationship that I'm inviting you into. Jesus makes that same promise to us by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit here in Ames, down in Des Moines, to every corner of creation. Our God is a God who will keep His promises to us that He will redeem and restore and renew all of creation. And the fullness of a full life is experiencing what Peter experienced. Being caught by surprise by the ways in which you and I can be a part of that work. Please pray with me.